welcome to Surat Illusions. We are kicking off our Christmas coverage. We've got an exciting slate planned, uh, a couple holiday-themed episodes uh, throughout the month. And uh, not only are we doing uh, Christmas coverage today, but we have a guest who actually checks off another box. We've uh, re recently been covering Power Rangers uh, season by season on the show, and uh, we are very thrilled that we actually have a real-life Power Ranger here with us. We have Archie Ko who is the star of the new film, uh, Christmas at the Ranch, uh, available December 1st from Tello Films. And Archie was also the Blue Ranger on Power Rangers Lost Galaxy. A great season. Archie, how are you? Thanks for coming on. Oh, good. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. It's uh, This is a thrill. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm, it's funny that I'm taking off two of the boxes so. <laughs> at the we, same time. But, uh, yeah. We're a big cornucopia of uh, entertainment, LGBTQ issues. Uh, it's always great when we can do both of those. And uh, your new movie, Christmas at the Ranch, which is uh, out December 1st from Tello Films. I'll link to all of that in the episode description. Um, for years, longtime listeners who've been following us since we started know that I... One thing that I really... Whenever I get an LGBTQ pitch, I always look for... I don't want things that focus on coming out and i don't want narratives that are uh too centered on homophobia like especially when when you're talking about a christmas narrative it's so easy to just do like the you know the new newly out gay person coming to grips with their homophobic relative or something and it culminates in like this big hug and it's been done a lot of times and it's a trope this film christmas at the ranch is a thoroughly lgbtq film that is also that that really does such an excellent job at showing gay people living and not just like what we would call in our community the like sort of an origin story it, you know this is showing thriving not just you know on the road to get there i you know i couldn't agree with you more i i have to say that um i so i was living in asia for much of the year um when i got the um offer to come and do this film and when I, I have to tell you, when I first got offered, I asked my manager, I'm like, have they seen my picture? Do they know what I look like? <laughs> I never saw an Asian cowboy before, right? And I was like, and when I asked Kristen, who's the writer-director, and I was like, I'm so delighted that, you know, you just thought to make this, you know, to offer me this uh, this role. And uh, it has nothing to do about racial identity and all that. I mean, the character just is Asian. I mean, obviously, the natural assumption is that I was adopted you know uh, Lindsay wagner plays my grandmother who i grew up watching as the bionic woman and so that was a thrill for me to be able to work alongside her but and she has this line in the movie where she says to me at one point um you know this ranch has been in our family for generations <laughs> i just thought it was really funny to be talking to an asian guy saying that but i have to say probably one of the reasons i was um it was it was obviously a, a shift in consciousness because i was uh, largely have been indoctrinated into the same sort of narrative that's been, you know, the, the sort of conventional narrative that I, I never thought I would see somebody look like me wearing a costume like that. But when I'm happy, you know, I asked Kristen, did you grow up with like an Asian best friend? Was this sort of some sort of homage or something? She said, no. I said, you're an Asian cowboy? She goes, no. I just thought it was wonderful that she just didn't, and, but it's not a focus of the story at all. The larger story isn't, is you know because i think I've, I've done other projects where the story is about me being asian oh he's coming you know white girl brings asian guy back to dinner or something like that. and but this one is more just it's a family story 
you know, and we all get the, 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 the deeper, more fundamental familial dynamics. So really it's, a, you know, it's about love and acceptance and, and renewal and, and, and these things that I just am delighted to be a part of with this film. I'm glad you brought up sort of the the line about the families and generations because something that I've I've learned a lot is oftentimes uh, I mean we're, it, the world's getting a lot better on this thankfully hopefully future generations don't have to deal with this kind of stuff but you know somebody comes out there's kind of a rift they're kind of disconnected but from from their family which is a shame because I think all of us have like in, inside of us a, a deep longing to just kind of know where we came from who our ancestors were you know who our people are. And when you're talking about people who are adopted or uh, LGBTQ, things are different, but that same desire to get to know your ancestors and your family and all of that remains the same. So to be able to kind of just, the film kind of falls under a category of what we, uh, what I I'd sometimes refer to as radical normalcy. It's it's the the gay narrative that doesn't you know shine the flag and saying like, okay, look at us, because. I think a lot of those films do that and they often kind of expect people to come on board and just say, Oh, you know, this is better than nothing. And it's like, no, I don't want better than nothing. I want something that is thoroughly authentic and has storytelling that reflects who I am and what I want to be. And, and I, I think this film, I mean, it, it just, when you think about this, the Christmas genre, you know, it's got a lot of familiar trappings. People kind of know it, it's kind of like the romance genre. You know, there's going to be happy, happy ever after. There's not really a, it's not a genre known for plot twists or anything. So you sit down and you, you expect a certain things. And this, I, I thought that Christmas at the Ranch really just embodied everything that you want when you sit down, you know, often. I mean, I watch it on a weekday, but these are the kind of movies you gather with a family and it's cold outside and you're all together and you're watching it. Uh, you know, you, you, you want to sit down and know what you're going to get. And I think that they delivered a nice, thoroughly traditional Christmas movie that was still managed to be inclusive at the same time. Yeah. Thank you. I'm, I'm... I'm I'm real happy to have been part of it. Yeah, I mean, I agree with you on that. <laughs> you know. Uh, so. Can you tell us a little bit about Charlie? You're kind of like I saw little bits of Kai and Charles. He's kind of like the mediator of the group, not really there to uh, rock the boat, but to be kind of more of the stabilizing force between all the other dynamics. Yeah, um, you know, Charles is uh, the the brother to the the female lead. Uh, who, or one of the female leads, I'm not sure exactly who it's supposed to be. The Haley, yeah. Uh, but, um, uh, and I'm trying to, you know, as you said, there, you don't, you're not, you're not, you're not shocked by kind of some of the narratives, but they're, they're satisfyingly done in that she's kind of more, when we enter the story, she's the city slicker who's kind of left her mm -hmm. ranch origins behind. And um, the, the good, well-intended, but not so well-equipped brother charles me is not really is in over his head and i kind of want her to bring her her um, business acumen back to helping um, save 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 the family business save the family ranch um and you know within that uh narrative she meets one of the ranch hands when she comes back and then that's where the the personal story the personal reading begins but like like you said it's not like they browbeat you with any particular it's 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 really it just provides the the appropriate this christmas milieu within which they their you know relationship can flourish um but it's it's really just a story about you know relationships and human dynamics and you know you know life and the challenges one thing that i really like about the genre especially this christmas genre which you know they don't get 
I mean, you don't want to watch a Christmas movie where you're just. I'm, it's kind of ironic that like the Christmas Carol is such like an iconic Christmas movie when the Christmas genres are often more lighthearted and this is like you know here look at your life which is you know you're gonna you're gonna die and all like it's it's about as horrible as hmm. it's really kind of a scary story yeah but um with this one you've got you've got uh you know you could tell that there's some the tension is more rooted in the fact that uh Haley the the main character is uh you know kind of like the prodigal well prodigal granddaughter i guess would be in this instance um you know you manage to kind of have interpersonal family conflict without necessarily needing to like ratchet up the heat to like 11 there's no shouting matches or anything if that it seemed like very grounded in what you know you could probably expect out of uh, a family that that's going through this kind of hardship that so many uh, sort of family farms and ranches have to deal with. It, it seemed very level-headed. It was a script that was uh, confident, sure of itself, not not in need to just kind of throw things out of left field. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it kept the characters real, you know, not these caricatures. And I guess as an actor, um, one thing that I've just been kind of re- thinking about with all the, the Christmas movies and all of that, so many of them kind of have this existential crisis of like we're gonna lose the farm and all of that and yet like the music's soothing the actors are like calm is it kind of is it difficult as a performer when you're when you're looking at like the script and like the ramifications you've got kind of a there's a villainous character sort of like an evil oil baron type guy who's trying to buy the farm is it is is it challenging as an actor to kind of deal with the these are existential like housing real estate big problems at hand and you're also at the same time supposed to kind of deliver something that's sort of of the cozier variety it's 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 it seems like it's kind of a challenge you know yeah i think i think um a lot of that um uh, falls into the director's chair too and 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 kind of like cultivating the tone of the story And, and you know like largely you know directing is is casting and editing you know, so if you if you get players that you think are appropriate to serving the the, the, the feel and the tone of you know, then you know uh, that's uh, that you know that's the approach that I've taken when I've directed stuff as well. You get the right players and let them play, right? So in this particular case, like where it's being a Christmas movie, obviously it it it, it su- suggests uh, a narrative in this direction, but it's not too. You know, it's not like any of us have, like, you know, there's no, it's not super hardcore. None of the characters are, like, super hardcore, like, um, uh, because, you know, again, you know, Christmas movie, we want it to be, like, a, you know, feel-good thing at the end, you know, and um, it's, I think the tone, the tone, I mean, every project that you work on has um, a different tone, you know, and I, I didn't, when I was on CSI, there was one um, there was one week where I was working on Desperate Housewives as well, and they were Desperate Housewives was on the soundstage right next to us at CSI, so I was literally walking back and forth between the yeah. soundstage shooting two different productions, but on the same day I'd be shooting the same different productions, and so what I didn't really realize at the time. Of certainly, I realized it as I got into work is that the two shows have a different tone profile, right? So, I mean, um, we're both, you know, we're acting stories, obviously, and they're both, you know, dramas. But you know, Front and Desperate Housewives is more like, I guess, 
dramedy that'd be an appropriate way to say yep. it or something like that where csi is more you know that you know that's more that cinematic uh drama or something like that uh, yeah they do they, yeah. they they have some of that you know tongue-in-cheek stuff but the drama the comedy in desperate housewives was different it just took me a little right. while to figure out the tone right so every every production has its own tone and that's largely set by the director you know so well, that that's interesting because CSI within the like very broad procedural drama genre. There's, I mean, it was it set the gold standard in a lot of ways for, uh, uh, especially for CBS as sort of centering it, most of its lineup around the success of it. Um, and it did. I was watching when they the revival came out a couple weeks ago. How 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 cinematic it felt for a broadcast ne- network uh, uh, j- drama, which is. Like really cool to watch. Sets it apart from so many of the other ones, especially you know the ones that are, I think, ostensibly trying to be CSI themselves. Yeah. Uh, CSI and um, and then of course with Desperate Housewives, you've got a Mark Cherry genre, and I mean he he kind of uh, marches to the beat of his own drum. He's got a very distinct tempo in a way that there aren't that many showrunners who are like that. And I mean if you take those two. And you look at Power Rangers and you look at Christmas on the Ranch being a Christmas genre, you're dealing with a lot of different genres where your audience is going to sit down in front of the TV and they're expecting like a very specific thing that they're going to get out of what you're doing. So I imagine as an actor, that's probably going to be a challenge, you know, dealing with the fact that, you know, your audience, your audience wants things done a certain way. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting too, because, you know, I mean, I, I during the course of the time, for example, let's say CSI, during the course of my time there, I saw a lot of actors come and go, you know, because that was a forensic, uh, forensic science lab. And so they would bring in other people to play, you know, uh, the new recruit or the new you know, lab technician or, or what have you, but they wouldn't last. And I could kind of understand it, obviously, because even though they were some wonderful actors, very talented in, in their own right. I, I could see that they didn't fit the tone of the show. Does that make any sense to you? Like when you, yeah. And, and when I was a power ranger after we left, I was the, um, after that first, after I finished my season, I was uh, uh, the reader for the casting director just for fun. I just wanted to, you know, I just want, it's, it, it's just kind of fun to see what other actors do with stuff. Mm-hmm. It's very educational. So I would have, um, when other actors came in, I, I, now that I'm on the, the you know, the buyer side, I'm like looking, I'm watching the people that come in and I'm, I'm trying and you see exactly what they mean when the casting director or the producers might say, we love them, not the guy. I totally understand that. now. Uh-huh. You see it when you're the reader, when you're on that other side, you're like, you, you know, the Power Rangers has a certain sort of like, you know, thing has a certain flavor to the, yeah. you know, the people that they cast. It's, when you think about how, um, structured the show is you've got your opening bit then the drama of the episode has to come and the monster and that kind of builds up and then you've got the action sequence i mean it does kind of in a lot of ways need to operate like clockwork because you know there's just not a lot of time for an actor who isn't necessarily a fit for the show to just kind of vibe with all of that stuff that's going on yeah i gotta tell you like uh power rangers i did that show 23 years ago and I can't believe, and Hasbro just released a new um, action figure um, uh-huh. of 
my character <laughs> 23 years ago. I mean, but I think it's so funny because if you if you can see right now, I know that we're on the video. I, it's a little, I don't know if you can see on this feed, but I've got like a couple birthmarks on my face here. And if you mm -hmm. actually take a magnifying glass to the character, you can see my birthmarks, which is really amazing to the attention to detail. But do I have one here? Let me see. I don't have one here right now, but I, I've, my point is I'm so grateful for the enduring popularity of the character. Yeah, I had no idea when I was doing it back in the day that over 20 years later, I'd still be talking about it and being invited to do all these things. But um, I have, it's, it's been a thrill. I, I have Power Rangers Aha! within Army's Reach. These are from uh, Z. Oh, no, they're on my desk. We're not... Uh, this is just for podcasting. Um, something I didn't tell you prior to recording, but you, Kai, is my sister's all-time favorite Power Ranger. <laughs> now, so I was born in 1991, so I, I grew up with Mighty Morphin. Oh boy, yeah. I got in trouble count countless times on the playground uh, playing Power Rangers uh, with my friend. It's funny like to think about now how, how, how like long it's gone on and how popular it is. When I was little in kindergarten, the thing that I really remember about Power Rangers was the cool kids were the ones whose parents let them watch Power Rangers, <laughs> and the people. It's funny, funny how that stuff, uh, funny how that stuff works. But I had gotten a little older when I guess I was like six, like sports and stuff. Like I mean, pre DVR, it was hard to keep up with stuff if you weren't around when it was on. But I kind of missed Lost Galaxy, and I just kept hearing time and time and time again later on, like you got to watch Lost. I mean. I, I think if if I did like a poll of everybody I know who picked a, a favorite season, it was probably Lost Galaxy. I mean, what you guys did with the world building on Terra Venture and all of that. I mean, it's probably not an understatement to say that if your season had not done well, that could have been it for everything because you were supposed to be kind of the post on reboot. And mm. it, I mean, it still holds up. It's it's a it's a remarkable show. It's a th yeah, it's very. Um, I think that was the like maybe. The first year, maybe they started within space a little bit, but they started to do make it a little more uh, like adult like, which is why they were able to cast me. Right, they were they're not just teenagers now necessarily; they were young adults, which was a, a gamble on their part, and I salute them for it. Right, but when you look at how full circle the narrative did come with landing on you know Miranoi and all, you know, I've, it's I to be honest with you, I've really within within the confines of what they had to work with. You know, they, when you think about it, the show is like 22 minutes long and they're using pre-existing footage. And yet w the way the writers were working with what they had and to create the overall story, I mean, that's some real, that's some real, some real talent actually, you know, um, cause it's a kid show and it's easy to discount the fact that, oh, but it's, but it's actually, there's thematically some real stuff happening there too, which, you know, if well, had was dark. afforded yeah. a larger production budget, it could have been even glossier. But, you know, there are some real talented people on the production side of it, to be honest with you. So, I got to say, I looked, I, I watched an episode uh, a couple hours ago. Just, I, I was, I was, I hadn't been wanting to watch one. The CGI, I mean, that's, it, it still looks really good for that era. Like, that, that was kind of a touch and go, early 90s. Some of the CGI that was made then, like Star Trek Deep Space Nine, for, I mean, a lot of that was models, but their C, CGI was, was pretty good. Power Rangers Lost Galaxy, like the, the CGI rendering of Terra Venture, the space station, yeah. and all the space scenes, that holds up. I mean, yeah. it still looks really good. Yeah, it really. I was really impressed with those guys. Yeah, 
what was what was kind of remarkable about your season i mean you're the first you're the first season since the very first to start off everybody's new you know you're not mm. replacing like, um every subsequent season there had been i mean most of the time it was just one or two would switch and i guess turbo halfway through uh brought in the uh, cast that continued on to in space was that just kind of like challenge uh, what what was it like to just kind of go onto the set of Lost Galaxy? The slate's been wiped clean. Zordon's gone. It's, it's almost not, though, because, I mean, Bulk and Skull are... Well, Skull's in the first episode. Bulk's only around a little bit. You have Alpha 6. You have the Astro mega ship. Um, yeah. So you're, you're kind of coming into a new show. You're, you're the show that's kind of like the... In some ways, the epilogue of the Zordon era, and then in other ways, the beginning of the rest of Power Rangers. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, in truth, um, I, you know, I, I'm really grateful to Power Rangers for, I, I, because, let me, let me be honest though. When I first started, I didn't want to do it. I, I kind of was like, I was in acting class and I was, you know, they're giving you serious material. Like, you know, you're doing like these, you know, um, these, these classic plays and stuff like that. Obviously in the real world, I wasn't being offered, you know, heavy meaty but, but that's what i wanted to do so but uh, in the you know the 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 amount of asian american males that had regular jobs in television were like pretty much nil you know so when this came about at first i didn't want to do it i felt like i want, I want to do something like but i gotta tell you it was it's been the it's been the thrill of my life and it's and it still is i'm so grateful to have like been able to be i didn't know what i was getting into i didn't know what it was i didn't i just I heard it was a kid's show, you know, and I, and I didn't, but I didn't, but the impact that it's had in a cultural way, like the people, you know, a lot of people that have uh, grown up now watching that are, they're grown adults now. Like I'm, you know, I'm still having conversations with about being part of their childhood. And, and we were, one of the things I really do appreciate about what we did then was um, a lot of focus with, you know, um, children's charities and, 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 and we were, you know, you know, able to go out to, you know, children's cancer centers and, and, and do a lot of stuff with them and made them happy. So in a lot of ways, it gave me the opportunity to kind of be kind of a superhero in real life to them in, in a way. So that was, it was nice. And as the, just beyond like myself, and it gave me the opportunity to be on a working set consistently. Um, Cause that's kind of, I was kind of just starting my career. Um, but just the the actual uh, fulfillment I still get to enjoy from it is is kind of uh, remarkable. You know, I thought that you know I came to L.A. not to be an actor. I came to L.A. to go to law school. So I remember looking at myself one day. I was in my dressing room. And I was pulling on my blue spandex tights. And I'm looking at myself, and I'm like, huh. Sometimes in life, you reach an intersection where you either take a left turn or a right turn. I guess uh, <laughs> law school was in the other direction, and I had no idea that that would happen and again i didn't know what i was signing up for to be honest with you i wonder if like the people that were you know the original cast of star trek had any idea what they were signing up for, or like gilligan's island or something like that but it was just kind of you know lasted a little bit of time a few seasons back then but it's still an enduring iconic brand and um power rangers obviously has had many iterations of different cast members and stuff like that who kind of carry the torch but really the the thematically the you know the main thing is like these you know young 
superheroes that they've done a good job of being inclusive and representing, you know, what different people look like and kind of going out there and, and you know, hopefully, you know, um, you know, maintaining the good of society <laughs> that are actually these rubber monsters on other planets. But. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, it's funny you mentioned Star Trek because, I mean, Lost Galaxy kind of has this... Uh, I mean, in space also would have kind of a Star Trek feel being on a spaceship, but but your your show had more of like the space infrastructure, like the command team, and you'd see. I mean, we we cover Star Trek a lot on this show, and one thing that I always it's just something that I I guess when you watch uh, so many of these, you you pick up on the small details. But I always love when there's background crew just doing random things mm-hmm. in the background, and Lost Galaxy, especially in this COVID era when. You know, so many productions, you, you've you just got to have basically the, I guess in, in Hollywood, it's like the t- cast uh, group A or something. You know, you have your on talent. You, you, you want to limit the people who are on. You re- It's really kind of the bare minimum. Yeah. You don't want to have tons and tons of extras. Yeah. Lost Galaxy, you look, and it, little touches like that make the world just feel a lot more lived in. Mm. I mean, I grew up on the East Coast. So when, when I came out to the, when I moved out to LA in 2015, and I started to see a lot of the buildings and the pits and stuff, it's like, oh. That could be Angel Grove. That pit, you, you know, you could do a you could do a putty battle in there, yeah. um, and it's just like, but those little kind of touches that make it kind of feel special all these years later. Yeah, yeah, they they really, they they were really very thoughtful, I think, in in building that world. And like you said, the just the graphics of Terra, it, it's it, if I were to watch it, I still feel like wow, that's remarkable because I know what kind of budgets they were operating, but they still just you know generated something that still is endearing so it's really um i think probably a few of the first episodes of lost galaxy i would have watched would be i think the um the in space team came over on two separate occasions and then you had uh melody perkins who played astronomer in in space and then she got transformed into corone uh the good version i mean astronomer wasn't really that bad um i always kind of liked her a lot uh But um, then she joined your cast yeah. um, when uh, Kendricks, when Valerie Vernon had her uh, health problems. Mm-hmm. If like I always, I thought that the way that your two casts were uh, brought together in that was just so because I mean your show had the first uh, team up and it was it, like not only passing the torch figuratively from season to season, but you guys would basically come back and do a team up and. I think that was probably a great way to get people who had seen one season but not the other to come back and you know you get kind of it's yeah. it's kind of like icing on the cake. Yeah. So it's just it's kind of cool how ambitious your narrative was. Yeah, yeah. It was, it was, again, the writers did. I mean, I wish I could take credit for, it, but it's just not me at all. <laughs> writers just did a really good job. And as you just mentioned with Valerie's condition um, and the way that they the writers approached you know handling that and with real life you know considerations, I thought was. A very smartly done thing, um, and and just as a side note, I'm 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 so thrilled to say that for all the productions I've done since then, um, you know the Power Rangers we're all still friends and we call each other by our colors. I just talked to Danny. Uh, we were just texting yesterday, and uh, Reggie and I, like Serena, when we talk to each other, we like green. What's happening? You know, or, you know, so, you know, they blue and I'm like, yellow, what are you doing? Like we're, <laughs> we call each other, my girls over 20 years later. So do you, 
Do you have a separate chat for all the? Because I know they did. Uh, Wild Wild Force did the Forever Red, and they brought all the Red Rangers back. Mm. Uh, yeah, the, the other color. Uh, they should really do Forever Blue. Do you keep in? Do you do you have a group chat for the Blue Rangers? I don't group? actually. No, I don't. I I, I uh, regrettably didn't. You know, like I kind of I kind of I think I think after I got not long after I started up with CSI. I was up with CSI for ten years. So I was kind right. of living in that. That would have been like 2001, yeah, 2002. For a while. And then, Maybe yeah. even earlier, 2000. I think CSI was 1999, the original. Oh, yeah. I mean, you, you've been part of so many long-running franchises. Between those, uh, Chicago PD. Yeah. Um, yeah, I went to Asia. For, I was working exclusively in the Chinese market for like nearly five years. So um, I've just kind of come back, to be honest with you. <laughs> What was it like? I mean, you know, you just you said earlier that you were splitting time in uh, Beijing and L.A. Mm-hmm. I mean, the the film industry was so upended in COVID, and you know, trying to uh, go between markets. Um, it's it's been a it's been a really wild time for uh, like filmmaking, film festivals, all of that. Yeah. It's it's really there's there's really nothing like it. Oh yeah, yeah. We I saw I was uh. The funny thing is like, I still, so now because I started working over there, you know, I was, um, I was married and I was living over there for a while. And so that's kind of where I started. That's why the, the impetus was obviously to start working in Chinese language. I didn't, I didn't grow up speaking Chinese. So on the job education, but then, uh, because I have my, um, I've kind of dipped my, my toe in that water. I kind of still have, um, projects that happen over there. And so in the, End of 2019, late December 2019, more the beginning of 2020, <clears throat> I was in Shenzhen, which is a southern region of um, China, and I was doing a project that was about a viral outbreak when the actual outbreak happened. So isn't that bizarre? Like we we actually yeah. then the production shut down. Obviously, we you know we, we uh, I was quarantined over there for a while, and then when, as and eventually I left and um, came back west for another project. Um, I was shooting um, The Flight Attendant, which is an HBO series that was in New York. Yep. And, um, um, but the virus was moving west. And then it kind of caught up with us while we were on set. Because I was kind of thinking, I've already been through all this stuff in China with people wearing masks. on, But nothing, everything seemed to be like, you know, functioning same as always you know people are on we're on the subway we're in the bars we're in the, in the museums nobody was paying attention to it but then somebody on the on the crew came down with covid and so that production shut down and they had to reroute my narrative i was supposed to do half the episodes i only ended up doing one because they ended up having to restrict the number of people who could be on set so they had to change a lot of stuff right the narrative just changed so that is uh, obviously a direct impact and i saw it happening in front of my in front of my eyes because I had already been out there and then I then I kind of even myself started to be seduced into thinking oh I guess we're okay but then little did I know I was going to change our lives and so as we all sat on our hands for much of you know last year the production is just starting to come back to to wake up again um you know I'm, I mean I'm going to anybody guess how, how the the future is going to look in the landscape but I, I did have that whole experience that I was working on the other side of the Pacific Rim for like, you know, nearly five years. So, but I'm back. Yeah, that's, uh, it's, 
fascinating to hear you talk about, you know, exactly. Because, I mean, one of these, maybe 10, 15 years down the road, people are going to, I mean, it'd be a great book idea to, to, to do a thing on just how many television shows, I mean, long-running shows that didn't get finales, uh, what you're describing with The Flight Attendant, they're rewriting the narrative to accommodate. It's uh, it's it's really, it's, it's, it's fascinating yeah. how this is all, yeah. the profound ripple effect that it's had. Yeah. Um, so I had a, a kind of an obscure question. It's it's a kind of um, there's a show that you did in I think it was 2004 on Showtime. It was called Huff, and <laughs> I really like I really like the show, and I I can never ever I like talking about obscure. I mean, in, in st- streaming's been great for a lot of things because it brings uh, shows that people didn't get to watch uh, back. But for shows that that were, I mean, it was canceled due to low ratings. I thought it was uh, a really good drama Blythe Danner uh Hank Azaria Oliver Platt um shows like that that only did one or two seasons don't tend to pop up on those streaming it's kind of been like lost in the tv ether ether and somewhere in my parents basement I've got a the dvd of the first one somewhere Uh I thought it was a really good show and I think you're probably the the first person I found who uh knows what it is and that's because you were on it yeah and you know yeah, I, I think I think one of the one of the challenges of the show and not having gone further is um, it's a very I don't know I, I I don't know what the reason was but I I'm, I'm bummed that it didn't go further because I thought it was so well done I thought it was a very intelligent you know the the lead character Hank Azaria is um, you know counseling people on their lives but he's a you know he's he's but he, he's a psychologist with a talk full of problems himself right so i um i thought it was a really smart narrative and, and they really were believers in it in showtime they greenlit the second season before the first one even aired you know so they they really thought it was going to go go somewhere but i i i thought they did it really well and talk about dramedy or like comedy i mean i'm playing yeah. tank Azaria's half brother in a dream sequence i mean that's <laughs> it, it, it's yeah it's a crazy episode um yeah. it was a lot of fun well, I mean, that's kind of like we're seeing now kind of the the norm with um, streaming shows are going like three or four seasons, if 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 that. And then they're, that, like, that scene is now a natural conclusion. It's not a cancellation. It's like we're going to end it. But you've been part of so many that were just like, you know, we're never going to end. Yeah. And I mean, I... I I think I think that maybe the streaming world is still probably trying to figure itself out in the future of what they're gonna like what what the right balance is because I mean I, I personally could have gone with the funny thing with Power Rangers is now they've kind of gone back to a model where Rangers they get two seasons now for like the past couple of years mm. past couple of cycles at least I, Lost Galaxy if there's anyone that I would bring back I think probably be Lost Galaxy. <laughs> well, you know, we're middle aged. We're all middle aged now. It probably look a little strange to have us packed into our I, yeah. pants. <laughs> some, some... <laughs> but that's thoughtful. I very, very much appreciate the generosity of that thought. Um, but um, I, I guess also with CSI, you know, it's it's I, I'm eternally reminded of the one of the closing lines in the Watchmen comic book. You know, I I probably say it three or four times a week now no, nothing ever ends i mean we're we're you know big thing next next month's gonna be the spider-man that's bringing like every person who was ever in a spider-man is all gonna be back and 
it's like you know the past is never really the past anymore because we can all revisit this stuff with a touch of a finger it's something yeah. that as a child i mean with with a show like lost galaxy if you if you missed an episode you kind of missed something we're kind of in an era and we've been in an era now where that's not a problem really for anybody right anymore. You can follow them. You can watch them in order. I was telling my my sister, I was like, you know, because I, I started my career when we were, we were firmly ensconced in the analog world still. And so, unfortunately, a lot of the stuff that I did in the earlier days, say commercials or even little guest spots and other things, I wish I had them now. I don't I don't know how to, you know, acquire them now. And it's uh, it's a little bit of a bummer because nowadays with YouTube, you can, you can find most things just like that. But... Uh, for some reason, some of the things slip through the cracks, and I don't. And one of the great things about this 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 occupation, it's almost like a video diary of your life. You know, you can see yourself grow up, or you know, on on the on TV. You know, the 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 fact that you know certain things are still airing, or that you get you know you know, recognize for certain things. But when I realize, again, I can't, I can't, I can't believe Power Rangers was 23 years ago for me when we started in 1998, yeah. the, the end of 1998. I just, it still blows my mind that, you know, um, but I'm so grateful that I have this video diary of my friends and I, you know, we didn't know what we were doing. You know, we just thought this is an exciting new horizon to, to see what happens. So. It's funny. It's funny to hear you say that because Kai, in particular, just always seems so confident. I mean, even there was an episode uh, where your your character is chastised by the commander for for not being confident, but it was just kind of in his demeanor that he was like a really uh, kind of the level headed one in the group. And uh, it's it's funny the the it, you're you're in. It, it definitely didn't come across on screen that you guys didn't know what you were doing. <laughs> Look, it. It looks so, so I mean, uh, subsequent season, Lightspeed Rescue, Time Force, um, really more confident Commando-style Rangers. But you guys, you really just went into it quick, uh, just uh, really. And it was such a good pilot, too. The story in the, I think it was the two-parter, um, was was a lot of fun. Do you have a favorite memory from your time in Lost Galaxy? <laughs> I mean, I just, I you know, like... I mean, we, we were, we're good friends too. So there was obviously a lot of like, you know, playing. I mean, I don't know if I, I don't think Reggie liked it when I talked about it so much, but you know, he was bald, right? All the time. He always was shaving his head. So one time there was a plunger nearby and I stuck a plunger on his head. <laughs> and I, <laughs> I wish, the, I wish the set photographer had gotten a shot of that. I was like, you know, <laughs> but we had a great time and, you know, we, we, you know, we, um, had, you know, vacation together. We hung out together. I mean, we're still, you know, have been in and out of each other's lives just as, you know, um, well, everybody has gone on to have families except me. I'm the only, I'm the last one that hasn't had kids yet, but everyone else has. And it's just like, we've kind of just watched each other grow up, I guess, in a way. So do I have one single memory? It's really hard to say, right? Cause it's been so long. Uh, the plunger story was great. Yeah. That, that's a good, that's a good pick. <laughs> Do you do the con circuit at all? I mean, with COVID, that's all kind of ended, but maybe... I had intended to, actually, <laughs> um, with before COVID. Actually, I was like, well, 50 now. I'm going to do, you know, I like it's kind of cool to, like, I should go back. And then COVID happened, you know, and I was bummed about that. My high school um, invited me to be the keynote speaker at uh, the university I graduated with, which is also in Northern Virginia. And so... 
I was delighted. I was so, I was, you know, I was thrilled to be able to go back and speak to the young alumni from my area, but then COVID disrupted those plans too. So, um, you know, I, I guess we're starting to get back to it now and we'll see what the, what the future brings. But yeah. Yeah. Cause some prior to, I think it was about three weeks before all the shutdowns started. It would, it would have probably been as four weeks into, end of January. Here in Long Beach, at Long Beach Comic Con, we had uh, Nakia from uh, Zio and Turbo. And that was the first Power Ranger I'd, I'd ever gotten to meet. And I was a huge, I think Zio, Zio was a personal fave of mine. And I was like, oh, this is so great. Yeah, I was looking forward to all of that. You know, you get to like see these people are still so passionate. And on the show, mm -hmm. we've had a lot of people from, uh, you know, fandoms I grew up with. And I, I've yet to meet somebody who was like, no, I hated doing that. I don't want to talk about it. That's so <laughs> always great. <laughs> You know, I, as I as I as I mentioned, uh, I did CSI for ten years, and uh, as much as I, I appreciate the fact that you know it gave me a job, kept me off the mean streets, I would say the fervor for you know the appreciation for Power Rangers, like I said, endures. We did a con for CSI in London some years ago, and the con we went there for CSI, but um, at the con was another table for Power Rangers, and so they and they found me. <laughs> and they and the the uh the the enthusiasm about it there i, I will have to i mean CSI, csi definitely has its fans too for sure it was the number one show it was the number one um franchise show in the world so it was definitely a, for a very you know, very long time too. yeah i like to i like to say that i went from the number one kid show to the number one adult show <laughs> which is a nice it's true i mean i i remember growing up on yeah that was it was it was what the the term water cooler in the streaming era is kind of well actually in COVID too the water cooler show has kind of gone away because water coolers have kind of gone away. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's uh, it's it's definitely remarkable. So um, as as we wrap up, I just you know we we talked a lot about Power Rangers, but um, it was it was so fun to see you in in the Christmas Ranch. You know, acting. I, this is something. This is a drum that I've I'd said this before we started recording, but this is a drum I've been pounding for a long time. You know, it, it, it's uh, coming out narratives. I think we've been, you can find them from the 80s. The Golden Girls did stuff like that. And uh, it's yeah. great that we have filmmakers who are committed to telling LGBTQ stories that LGBTQ people will like. Yeah. And I think that this is one, if you want a Christmas, I mean, Christmas movies, you know, everybody gets to pick their favorite that everybody else has to sit down and watch uh, for our LGBTQ listeners, for all of our listeners. Um, you know, this is a this is a good choice to put in the rotate. You, it's something that the whole family can enjoy. It uh, has all the trappings of, a, a you know, your traditional Christmas narrative, but it's inclusive. And that, I mean, that's really it's it's it's. It it's it's sort of understated in the movie, but uh, it's important to acknowledge just how how big of a deal that that kind of stuff. Is. Yeah, thanks so much for 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 that, Ian. Because I, I I never thought that I'd see the day in my professional career that I'd be you know playing the lead male roles of cowboy Asian cowboy, but also to be able to participate in in like you're saying in in these types of stories that are about you know just you know family and love and inclusive you know like all these things that we that it doesn't it doesn't have to be it, that, that's what we need to focus on that's really what what the central thing is is at the heart of it all the, the family dynamics of this regardless of you know um what dressing you put on it you know and i and i really i really am grateful for the fact that they're allowing me to be you know have allowed me to be part of it or invited me to be part of it so i again uh, I, I think that we're at a watershed moment and things in, um, you know, society. I think that's how you usher forth a new 
social consciousness is through your creative actions more so than your affirmative actions you know so and and telling content stories that people want to see and people can see people like themselves in it they, they can find how they belong where society makes more sense to them so i'm i'm you know again this is a new horizon for me and i'm thrilled to to be part of it and it's great chatting with you i sure appreciate your your perspective on well, Archie, thank you so much for coming on. And to all our listeners, Christmas at the Ranch is available December 1st from Tello Films. Uh, you can check it out. Uh, we have a link in the episode description. And thank you so much for listening, and we will see you next time. Music